everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're continuing our series on local climate action by focusing on energy. I think for most of us, when we think about reducing carbon emissions for climate change, if that's the kind of thing you do at all, (laughs) energy is the first thing that comes to mind, right? It's kind of like step one in the emission reduction recipe book. You know, shut down coal plants, switch to renewable energy, power all of our homes with carbon-free electricity. And, you know, it's also an area where we're starting to see real signs of success, actually. On March 29th of this year, wind power produced more electricity than both coal and nuclear energy for the first time ever in U.S. history. And then right here in Texas, during the first three months of 2022, wind and solar power accounted for a record 34% of electricity generation within the Electric Reliability Council of Texas, a.k.a. ERCOT, a.k.a. our state's electric grid. And, you know, that's a lot. (laughs) And that's happening in Texas, a state famous for fossil fuel production that now also just happens to be the national leader in wind energy. The past few years have seen a ton of growth in our state's renewable energy infrastructure. You know, Texas wind capacity rose almost 17% in 2019 alone. And that same year, wind power accounted for 18% of the electricity generated in Texas, compared with just 6% back in 2010. And a lot of this growth actually has to do with price. The cost of renewables has gone down dramatically. When it comes to building new power plants, wind and solar are now the cheapest options. They're less expensive than natural gas, coal, and nuclear. And that's a really big change. Just 10 years ago, solar was the most expensive option for building a new energy project. And since then, that cost has dropped by 90%. Similarly, the lifetime cost of new wind farms dropped by 71% in the last decade. So then, why aren't we already getting 100% of our energy from renewables? Well, a lot of it has to do with the transition, basically. New wind and solar are cheaper than new natural gas and coal. But a lot of electric utilities out there have older fossil fuel plants on their books, and absent something like a carbon tax, there's not always a ton of incentive for them to retire their fossil fuel plants early and replace them with new renewable ones. And there's also just like a lot of inertia in the system. Using fossil fuel plants is the way things have always been done, and not all utility executives are all that interested in coming up with new ways to do things. That is, unless they're pressured into doing so, which is where the public comes in, and which is really what we're going to focus on today. How to get utilities to think about climate change, retire their fossil fuel plants, and invest in renewables, and how to do it before it's too late. Because the science is telling us that we don't really have time to wait the 20, 30, or 40 years for these old fossil fuel plants to retire naturally. So, as always, we're going to start with Austin to tell this story. Here in Austin, we have what's called a publicly owned or municipally owned electric utility. It's called Austin Energy, and it essentially operates as a city department. It's controlled by city council, and its profits go back to the city's general fund budget to pay for things like parks and libraries. And one in seven Americans are actually served by a public power utility, kind of like this. This includes residents of Austin, San Antonio, Denton, Los Angeles, Seattle, Memphis, Nashville. Now, most of the rest of the country is served by what's called investor-owned utilities, which are basically private power companies. So if you live in a place like that, don't worry, we're going to be talking about climate action within those types of utilities in a future episode, but today is all about public power. And the primary benefit of these publicly owned utilities, at least from a climate perspective, is that they have to answer to the public, usually by way of local city councils. So in Austin, for example, our city council serves as the Board of Austin Energy, making the final decisions on rate changes, programs for low-income households, and renewable energy goals. And it's this highly democratized form of energy production that most excited me about moving to Austin back in 2013. Uh, Yes, I actually did research Austin Energy before moving here, again, further proof of my very natural cool factor. (laughs) But in fact, when I first moved here, I didn't really have a job, so... I used to just go to meetings of our city's electric utility commission so that I could learn more about how our city worked and, you know, in the hopes that someday somebody would hire me to write about all of it. (laughs) 
And our Electric Utility Commission, by the way, is a group of Austin residents who advise Austin Energy and City Council on energy-related issues in our city. So it was going to these meetings that first really opened up my eyes to the role of community members and activists in transitioning Austin to a renewable energy future. You know, month after month, I would see the same and, quite frankly, kind of small group of Austinites showing up at these meetings, carrying mountains of their own research and making the argument to Austin Energy leaders that investing in more renewable energy was possible and economically feasible. And their efforts worked. (laughs) You know, today, more than two-thirds of Austin's energy is carbon-free, meaning that it comes from solar, wind, or nuclear power. And that also means that all of us living here, we have a lower carbon footprint than most other Texas residents, simply by turning on our lights every day. And we have a plan to reach 93% carbon-free electric generation by 2030, and 100% by 2035. And once we do that, we'll have reduced our city's community-wide carbon emissions by 29% by 2030. And that's huge. (laughs) That's a third of our way to our 100% goal. And we can do it all through our electric utility, which also makes for a very efficient climate action tool. You know, we can do it all and basically through this one mechanism. And this is what is so cool to me (laughs) and what first inspired me about Austin so many years ago. You know, here is this big global problem of climate change. And if there's one problem that feels hardest for the average person to make a difference on, it seems like it's climate change. But right here in Austin, year after year, a small but dedicated group of climate activists have been pushing our electric utility and city council to be leaders in the transition to renewable energy. And in doing so, they have managed to get the electric utility of the country's 11th largest city to get on track to be nearly carbon-free within the next decade. That's kind of incredible. (laughs) And so in a minute, we're going to hear from some of those incredible people who started out as regular Austinites just like you and decided to get involved. They're going to talk about Austin's transition to renewable energy, both the good and some of the problems that have popped up. And right now, Austin's biggest problem is the Fayette Power Project, our city's last remaining coal plant and Austin Energy's largest source of emissions. It's really the last thing standing in our way to becoming a carbon-free utility, and it's not going down quietly. Okay, so let's get to it. To tell us all about it, we're going to listen in on an interview I recorded with Amber Mills, who's the Austin Advocacy Organizer at MOVE Texas, Kaiba White, who's the Climate Policy and Outreach Specialist for Public Citizen Texas, and Annie Fierro, who's the Sunrise Movement Hub Coordinator for the Austin Hub Sunrise Movement. All right, let's give that interview a listen. Okay, I'm here with um, a, a whole group of amazing advocates here in Austin to talk some about energy and Austin and climate advocacy. Um, I, I want to start, just give people a little preview um, with you, Kaiba, maybe to give some background. Um, one of the things I've been trying to talk a lot about on this podcast is um actions that can be taken to reduce emissions from energy, especially if you have a publicly owned utility, which Austin does. And, you know, what we're going to talk about a lot today is some of the hiccups that are happening and, and ways to move forward. But I want to start with some of the successes or kind of how we got to where we are today. So Kaiba, can you just give people like a brief understanding? Like we have very ambitious goals here in Austin for renewable energy. Like how did that arise? That didn't come out of nowhere. (laughs) You played a big role in making it happen. Let's just give people a little bit of a background. Yeah, you're right. It didn't come out of nowhere. Um, You know, Austin is lucky to have its own electric utility. So Austin Energy is a department of the city government and that has given us a lot of avenues um, to advocate for the transition to clean energy here in Austin. Um, But nevertheless, it has been many years, well over a decade uh, in the works to move in that direction. I believe that the Austin had its first uh, climate plan uh, for, for Austin Energy back in 2007 and Every iteration since then has moved closer towards that goal of being fully dependent upon 
at least carbon-free energy, if not fully renewable energy. And in the latest iteration of the Austin Energy Resource Generation and Climate Protection Plan, the city and the utility did commit to 100% carbon-free energy by 2035 with a kind of planned ramp-down schedule of phasing out its existing fossil fuel power plants. And at the same you know, kind of time, there's uh, been efforts and different iterations of climate plans for the city more broadly that started with internal uh, city operations. And then I guess it was in 2015, we had the first uh, Austin uh, community climate plan that addressed emissions from the whole community, even from individual and business sources and set a goal for, for net zero by 2050. And more recently, last fall, the Austin City Council adopted the Austin Climate Equity Plan, which moved that goal up to net zero by 2040 and also established a more ambitious goal for reducing more emissions in the near term. So a 75% reduction by 2030, which really puts the focus on reducing emissions now. Yeah. And, you know, I think this is so key because so many people don't see what's happening behind the scenes here, but all of these goals and these iterations of goals getting, you know, tougher and tougher and more ambitious as time goes on. It's the direct result of advocates of people like you, of community members really holding our city council's feet to the fire, our electric utilities feet to the fire and say, this is important to us, right? Like this is, this is the result of constant advocacy because it wouldn't happen without that. The pressure needs to be put on, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, with, with each of these uh, plans and these goal settings, uh, it, it really takes uh, people showing up at uh, perhaps you know, dozens of meetings over many months or sometimes over a couple of years of process. And then of course, getting uh, city council to uh, agree to those draft plans and, and vote to support them uh, in the way that the community has envisioned. Right. So this is a way, you know, this is really the role of things like the Electric Utility Commission, of some of our city's other boards and commissions, of task forces that sometimes get created when these plans, long-term plans are being put together. So, you know, I'm just trying to think about people who might be thinking about joining these boards or commissions or joining these task forces or attending these meetings. This can be the result, right? Like you can play a role in helping to set these goals in the future and um, continuing to make sure these plans actually happen. Yeah, absolutely. Those, those city commissions um, play a vital role. Um, and, and even if you're not serving on the city commission, showing up to those commissions and uh, making it clear what your priorities are and what you want the city to do is, is absolutely important. And yeah. we need, frankly, a lot more engagement uh, I think to, to really move forward in meeting these goals that have been set. Right. Because I think, you know, even in a place like Austin, I think there's this, um, feeling like, well, all the city council members support climate action, which, which is generally true. You know, it's a fairly liberal city, but there's lots of priorities. Like that's how government works. There's lots of priorities at play and politicians, you know, from what I've seen, they really need that extra push or backing from the public to be like, no, we're serious about this. This is actually something we want you to prioritize and maybe be go out on a limb a little bit for as well. Yeah, it's easy to support something when it's an abstract concept. It's a whole nother thing to support something when the various hurdles and uh, challenges are really presented and you have to you know, find a way to navigate those trade-offs and, and move forward anyway. Right. So we've been able to get to this place where we are today, where we have this goal, um, hundred percent carbon free for our electric utility by 2035. That's, um, I, I don't think there's another Kai, but like, there's no other Texas city that's, that's close to that at this point in time. Is there maybe smaller cities or can you like, can contextualize that goal a bit for for us? Yeah, I, th I think that's um, that's right. That that this one within the Texas context could probably be 
considered the most ambitious. Um, there are, you know, some others like Denton does have, uh, you know, 100% uh, renewable goal, but it, it, they haven't set the goals such that they actually have to retire uh, all of their fossil fuel assets. Uh, so, you know, I would argue that in, in some ways it's actually a little weaker, whereas Austin Energy has, has committed to, um, you know, it, at least in theory, procuring mm -hmm. all of its energy from renewable sources and, and shutting down all of its fossil right. fuels. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about how that's working and then we can get to Fayette. So we have this goal in place. And for years, you know, I, I think obviously there's been some back and forth frustrations. You've you've been up close for these, but in general, like we've we're really hitting, we've hit our goals. Like we've set these goals and we've actually been able to achieve them. A lot of city goals you can't say that about necessarily. So, you know, we were we were on path and actually hitting a lot of these goals. Um and then a key part of it, though, is this retirement of Fayette, which is our city's only remaining coal plant that we have on the books. And then give us a little background. What happened? I think this announcement came out a few months ago, maybe last year, um, that Austin Energy said they wouldn't be able to retire Fayette after all. Yeah, the, the public announcement came right at the start of last November. And Austin Energy essentially announced that they had been unable to reach a reasonable agreement with the Lower Colorado River Authority or LCRA that they co-own the Fayette Power Plant with and, you know, essentially put the community on notice that the goal of having Austin Energy's portion of Fayette shut down by the end of 2022 was probably not going to happen. Right. So we had this goal that we were going to actually going to be done with Fayette this year, I guess. And um, obviously we can't meet, meet our zero carbon goals, having a coal plan on the books. Um, talk a little bit more about why or what this means. You just said we should, we don't own this um, plant outright. We co-own it with LCRA. That's a state run organization. Give us a little background on like the messiness of um the ownership and more about the justification Austin Energy has said for why it hasn't been shut down so far. Yeah, it is It is messy. Uh, uh, units one and two of the Fayette power plant are co-owned by Austin Energy and LCRA. They came into service in 1979 and 80, I believe. And this agreement between the LCRA and Austin Energy was crafted with no exit clause. In other words, it was till death do us part. And I'm sure that a lot of folks uh, maybe assumed at that point that this was such a great investment that what we would never want to part ways, but uh, times have changed. The plant is obviously many decades old at this point, past its expected lifetime, and uh, the LCRA is, you know, continuing to maintain a position that they they want to keep running it, and so they they uh, have been resisting Austin's efforts to negotiate an agreement to shut down even Austin's portion. Of course, there have also been efforts to try to get LCRA to consider retiring their portion of the plant as well, um, but they have shown little to no interest, I would say no interest in, in doing that. Right. And so the initial report, this is kind of another thing that's made it confusing for the public is these are, my understanding, fairly closed door negotiations. We don't know exactly what's being discussed, but we are aware of the result, which was Austin Energy saying it doesn't, we have not reached a deal yet. And it doesn't seem like we're going to reach one within our 2022, end of 2022 timeline. So that maybe brings, so where are we now with this? It seems like I'm glad that we have a whole group of you all here because there's some organizing efforts happening around it. Like what, what happens next? Has Austin Energy given any indication of how we could break through this? What's going on? No, Austin Energy hasn't uh, provided any uh, path forward, and I think that's 
uh, why we're doing the work that we're doing collectively. And I, I definitely want to uh, get Annie and Amber in uh, to speak directly to that. But in terms of what Austin Energy has said, the next path forward is they have said that they uh, are going to run the plant as little as they can. And that means running it down to what's called the low sustaining load. It's basically the lowest amount that the, the plant can run and still be on. And Austin Energy is contractually obligated to run their half of that minimum. So the, the capacity that Austin Energy controls is just over 600 megawatts. That minimum limit for them would be 150. So um, basically they can re potentially reduce their usage down to that, but um, in terms of a path forward for actually getting the, getting the plant retired or Austin's portion of it retired, shut down for good, uh, we have not heard from Austin Energy a plan for that. Right. And so that's where the organizing comes into play. Um, Amber, maybe I'll, I'll bring you into the conversation here. Um, I know a lot of grassroots organizations and advocacy organizations in town have started to take this up as a cause and say, well, if we're not hearing what a pathway is for, maybe this is a role for the public to maybe put a little pressure on. So uh, you're with Move Texas, correct? Yeah, Move okay. Texas. Mm -hmm. Okay, so explain what Move Texas is real quick and then talk about how you all got involved in this campaign and sort of what you're working on from the public pressure side of things. Yeah, so Move Texas, um, we are a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization that focuses on underrepresented youth communities. And so we do that through a number of ways, um, voter registration, um, civic leadership, and then issue advocacy, which is where this falls under. And so um, we've heavily focused on voting rights in the past, and that's kind of like where MOVE got its start and definitely like the core of our organization. But within the past few years, we actually got involved in the recall CPS energy um, campaign, which is happening in San Antonio to close the spruce um, coal plant there. And so basically we kind of already had that, our, our, our feet in the um, fight, I guess I would say. And so whenever we heard news of um, Austin Energy not going to close their portions of Fayette, that's how we decided it's, it's right up our alley and that we should get involved. Right. And so what is that advocacy starting to look like? What are you all doing on the organizing front? Yeah, so definitely in the beginning stages, as Kaiba kind of explained, there's so many factors and we've all kind of had to get on consensus of like, who are we going to target since there are three people um, or not three people, but three targets and mm -hmm. that can make things tricky. And so we've all kind of agreed that Austin Energy and City Council are kind of our, our best shot because they're right here in our backyard and more so accountable to us. Yeah, more locally controlled. Exactly. Yeah. And so- when it comes to community organizing, we understand that not everyone knows about the, the coal plant and not everyone definitely knows the harmful impacts of the coal plant. And so definitely starting with looking at educating as many people as we can. So I know Sunrise, um, which Annie, I think helped lead was like, did a teach in where they explained it. And so we definitely want to expand that, do community calls, have some virtually, some in person, as well as just talking to people, getting out there and seeing who, like what their um, attitudes are towards it. And then um, I think from there, once we kind of see like what the landscape is, that's when we start bringing people in and trying to get them to attend actions, to attend those meetings, like how you've mentioned and give their public input. Um, and then just even calling city council and demanding action. Right. Because my understanding here is part of the strategy must be well, we, we've heard kind of a no answer from Austin Energy, or at least a stuck answer. And um, But the reality is Austin Energy is controlled by our city council, which is publicly owned. And again, I guess it comes back to this public pressure thing that if as long as people don't say, well, we've forgotten about this issue, that perhaps to, to again, keep making it clear that this is something that's important to the public and to keep going back to the negotiating table or what have you for Austin Energy. Is that, is that accurate? Is that the idea? Oh yeah, absolutely. I think like when I think about all this, especially I think of like the mantra, nothing about us without us, because they're making all of these decisions and not really taking into consideration the public opinion and concerns. And so when looking at city council, we know that they are definitely the most directly accountable to us and that we 
have power in voting them into office. There's an election coming up in November and we're watching, we're gonna be paying attention and asking those questions to the candidates because we know that we have to secure a commitment to close Fayette. Mm-hmm. And then Annie, uh, you're with Sunrise. Um, we were just talking about a teach-in, um, which is a, a cool advocacy tool there. The idea, I guess, is I remember seeing this being promoted. You invited the public to come and just learn about Fayette and what was happening. Um, talk a little bit more about your organization and your involvement in this. Yeah, so the Sunrise Movement started right after Trump won the presidency. Uh, it, it was mostly thinking about everything was, that was at stake and how the election was did not include the voices of young people. It has always been that systemic of like white men that get in power and then get in power again and they're selected by the same ethnicity. Um, so the, the organization was founded into the idea of the Green New Deal that was introduced by Alexander Casacortes and Ed Markley. And it was how can we locally in our cities have a Green New Deal? And also while we're doing that locally, have it at a federal level so that it's for everyone uh, in an equal way. And through that, we were we first started with the initiative for like electing candidates to Congress or local elections, but mostly was at some point, like we all felt that we were only electing people and not moving after we once we got mm. them to for office. Um, so recently, there has been a lot of changes within the national movement and locally here. We're trying to not just educate the public, but also continue the pressure, like be at every city council meeting, uh, make sure that we're also talking if there were a candidate and they had a platform on a specific issue that they're still talking about it afterwards and making sure that everyone is included. So one of the things that we want to do with Fayette is that we understand that the plant is not in the city because that's another thing. It's a different area in Lagrange. And so we want to go there and be the voice, the conduct of the people actually living there because we understand that Austin is like, I'm originally from Mexico City, so I see it as like the special kids that are just going to come and they're like, oh, let me tell you something great and I'm going to change your life. And that's not fair. That would not be the right way to do it. I would also be like, get out of here. Uh, so we actually want to go have conversation, empathetic conversation with the people there and be like, this is what is happening in your backyard. We are from Austin. We're the ones that can help you get to the establishment that I put the plan here and controls your employment. And we wanna help you transition out of that. And so that way we can create a green new deal with them. So they can tell us like, okay, so I need to pay for this and that and that. And I've been working here for this long and I would need something that is the same or even better or figure out actually how things work because none of us actually really know how things are there. We don't even know how many workers the plan has. We don't know so many things. So, but that's one of the main things that we're focusing on. And here we're also, because we're a youth led movement, we want to start going to schools and maybe they can form sunrise chapters and also spread the word through education. Because I've been invited to a couple of schools recently and a lot of them were, had never heard of the Green New Deal. And they were very outraged at the end. They were like, how is it that we have to take the science class of the science class within the group that it's part of the science class to get a speaker from Sunrise or from Move Texas? So that's other. That's another area that we're also exploring. Yeah, you know, this is so interesting. I, I, this is a theme and in, in, uh, the people I've been interviewing for this series, it's like the this concept of the Green New Deal, I think is something that is really caught on in the national media conversation, but I think it's been really vague as to what it is or what it looks like in real life. And we haven't seen the movement that I'm sure a lot of people want on the federal level on it. But when I'm so many people I've been talking to here in Austin and El Paso and other cities in Texas, they're like, make, they're like doing the green new deal right here without even calling it that or, or working on aspects or, and, and so it's interesting what you're talking about here is this idea of Obviously, if the end goal is to shut down this coal plant, people work there and it is a community that isn't Austin. It's kind of a unique circumstance there. You know, you said it seems like starting by just having a conversation because you don't want to go in and say what people might want or need. But I'm wondering what what the hope is or the approach is. I feel like we talk about this so much, like giving transitioning to green jobs and like in theory, all of it sounds nice, but it can seem so difficult or messy to do in the real world. I know you're just getting started with it, but um, 
what's kind of the general approach for working with these other communities and figuring out a way to shut down a coal plant without destroying economic opportunity in that uh, community? Yeah, one of the things that we were talking is that uh, not only getting all the statistics from them, like, okay, how much do you need to get by? Uh, do you, we can maybe get you a union job instead of just by yourself. Um, we're also, with that, would, once we have all that, we can actually figure out, okay, what would we need to maybe, maybe if we were thinking like putting the pressure of city council to actually invest on jobs that are for renewable energy. So we can just go to them and be like, okay, so this is what the strategy that we have so far from the city, the city is willing to invest in solar panels in this area and we need workers. Would you like, would you transition to this other job? Um, regardless of the status of the plant, uh, that's what under the other strategies that we're thinking that maybe we have already a plan laid down that we can be, okay, so this is what we can propose we can make it happen. We just need you. Are you in? What do you want to change? This and that. But we do not want to draft anything without talking to them first and what, yeah, learn more what, what can, we can actually do and continuing meeting with council and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Amber, I want to I want to go back to something that you mentioned, which is this this movement sort of playing out throughout the state of Texas and and this work shutting down coal plants you know this has been I think a strategy that lots of different organizations have taken up throughout the entire country what are ways to specifically target coal plants since um, not only are they big climate sources of climate change emissions but also just localized air pollution and have other problems as well give people um, we haven't touched on San Antonio but there are neighbors so close by they have a lot of very similarities to us give give us a little rundown what happened in San Antonio for people in Austin who might be unfamiliar with the issue yeah so I'm not as like I don't know as much about this, but I can at least give like a, an a little summary. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So um, in San Antonio, they have the spruce coal plant. And so, you know, similar efforts have been in place to try to close that because I know specifically there, children's um, asthma rates are through the roof and that's directly caused from air pollution. And so like the, the um, school district there even had to hire a specific nurse for asthma at these schools because it's so bad. And I think that's one of the things that really raised alarms for a lot of community members. And the way that it's set up there is that, you know, CPS Energy is a public utility, but in some ways kind of operates as a private utility. It's not, but it's just that even though it's public, it's not necessarily democratic. It's not really seeking out anything more than some public comments from time to time and not really ever presenting real solutions. Their, their board of directors is not their city council as ours is in Austin. Correct. That's the main difference. Mm -hmm. It is a board of directors that they make all the decisions essentially. And I city council, yeah, really doesn't have much influence over them. Um, and so how is that? I know this is something public citizen has been involved in as well. Kaiba, if you want to chime in at all, but, um, so how, how has that campaign gone so far? Like, what what are we seeing? Have we learned any lessons there? Where where are they at in their work trying to shut down that coal plant? Well, um, you know, despite the fact that, I mean, when you look at the, the facts, in, in some ways, CPS does have an easier challenge in that they own the coal plant themselves. They own Holy. it, they operate it, they have full control. Um, that said, one of their units is much newer. They uh, were one of the last utilities in the country to build a, a, a coal unit, uh, despite community objections, I will note. And so, you know, they, they've been very reluctant to, to talk seriously about shutting down that Spruce 2 unit. Um, However, we have had some recent success uh, in that the board of directors did a couple months ago actually vote to uh, support a resolution that uh, commits them to shutting down, well, I shouldn't say shutting down, ending the use of coal by 2030. And so now the conversation is, is squarely 
in the realm of, of what is the alternative. And CPS Energy is, has been pushing hard on the option of converting that Spruce 2 unit to run on natural gas. Whereas we and our allies have been for years advocating for replacing that with clean energy, a combination of wind, solar, batteries, more investments in energy efficiency and, and rooftop solar. Uh, so that's that's really where the debate is kind of right now. And there is a uh, rate advisory committee established that uh, is, is looking not just at rates, but also at these kind of resource planning issues for CPS energy. And uh, you know, we'll, we'll see how that progresses, but uh, the hope is that through that process, we can get CPS to do some robust modeling of multiple different scenarios for how to replace that, that power plant and, and that they, they move away from this kind of default thinking that the, the only viable option is to transition from coal natural gas and you know they you know try to spin that as, as an improvement but uh you know the the facts just don't back that up methane emissions are driving climate change uh effects and, and climate change acceleration right now in the near term and we simply can't afford to increase our dependence on natural gas we need to be phasing that out at the same time that we're phasing out coal and, and making that investment would only kind of lock them into using more natural gas for more decades to come. Yeah, I, I want to talk some about the finances for both of these for a second, because Kaiba, you mentioned like trying to get people to open their eyes a bit. You know, my understanding and in, in some of the Austin Energy meetings I've been able to, to watch or be a part of is so often what was happening was... Uh, members of the public saying, well, what would it look like if we, you know, inched up our, if we increased our goal or if we got more X percentage, more of our, um, energy from wind or solar. And it seemed like the initial reaction always be like, it's too expensive. It's too expensive. And then a lot of times would say, well, could you, could you do a study on that? Could you research it? And then they would come back and say, well, actually, you know, the numbers look pretty good. And and things would happen. It was like, seemed to be this process of just trying to open people's eyes to it a bit. I mean, can you talk some about that and and also about what we're actually seeing in the in the numbers because obviously it's a harder ask if you're saying can we take a huge financial loss in order to do this, but that's not necessarily what is we're finding. Right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh even just, you know, in the time that I've been doing this work, the thankfully um, some of those kind of key economics have changed pretty dramatically. You, you did used to have to make a choice between the environmental solution or the most economic. But um, now the the market is is moving into wind and solar uh, full force, and and it's really just a matter of you know what is the timing of shutting down these, you know, legacy polluting sources, these coal plants and even these gas plants. Um, But if you look at what's being built in the ERCOT market, it is predominantly wind and solar and even batteries now. And that's because they can compete. They, that they are the low cost energy sources. And yeah, we had to, um, we had to go through that with, with Austin Energy. There was a, a time when they weren't, uh, you know, eager about moving forward uh, with large-scale solar uh, contracts, and we had to to push them to to do an RFP, and then they they did the RFP, and they were just kind of sitting on the proposals, and we had to take it to council and and uh, really fight to get them to actually move forward with some of those contracts, um, and, and then they did, and and that, I think. Um, played a, an instrumental role in kind of jump-starting uh, the Texas kind of solar rush that we're seeing now. And yeah, now when you look back, those aren't the cheapest contracts, but somebody has to kind of jump in first. And 
Austin Energy has has still been doing well financially, and they have you know had good reliability, and and I think that they can be looked at as a success case, um, and and now they they on a routine basis at least once a year put out an RFP looking for for the the wind solar battery options available, and and that we we don't even need to prod them to do that because they realize that they need to do that in order to stay competitive and, and serve their customers, not just serve our kind of environmental goals, but serve our you know need for affordable electricity as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It's like listening to San Antonio and Austin and so many other places, it feels like it's really this bit by bit component of of looking out and targeting these major emission sources and and working with the city sometimes for years to to figure out a path to shut them down. But um, at the end of the day, I mean, the the results we're going to see from, you know, when hopefully Fayette is ever shut down, it's huge. I mean, I think it's people were saying it's like responsible for something like 80% of our uh, energy emissions or some some large component. Um, So the payout can be can be significant and obviously has to happen if we're going to get emissions to zero. Yeah, that's right. It's it's about 80% of Austin Energy's uh, emission uh, profile, and even when you look at community-wide emissions, it's it's somewhere around 28%. So, um, yeah, we can't we can't meet our climate goals uh, with it running. And you know, I think sometimes you know, with the complicated situation with LCRA and the fact that they control two-thirds of the plant, you know, folks can can kind of wonder, well, is it even worth Austin Energy trying to shut it down, shut down its portion if, if two thirds is going to continue running. And to that, I say, well, even one third of that plant is a major emitting source. You know, it's really, you know, you kind of have three power plants there. Yeah, they're all on the same site, but uh, yeah, it's a big deal to shut down one of the three. I want to shut them all down, but uh, that doesn't mean that it's it's not meaningful to shut down one of them. And and it would be when you think about the whole city and, and all of our emissions, you know, uh, take you know, cutting out about twenty eight percent. That's that's a big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to go back to the advocacy side really quick and share opportunities for people to get engaged in this process a bit. Uh, maybe Amber, I'll start with you. One, I guess, how did you get involved in this? What keeps you interested and excited about it? And then how can people get involved with Move Texas with your climate work? And then I know you all, I, I do a whole bunch of other stuff. I always see you out at voter registration kind of stuff and th- and democracy things all over the state, but yeah, so um, I guess to start with like how I got involved, I've I've always kind of been aware of like the ongoing climate crisis, and I always felt really intimidated by it because it's it's a lot to understand and take in. Um, you can understand how negative it is to us and our bodies and the world, but um, when thinking of how do we make a difference, that's a lot. It's a lot harder to take in. Um, but so I got involved with Move. That's literally how I was first ever did my advocacy. Um, and like I said, it was one of our issue areas. I saw someone in my position doing it and was able to have lots of conversations with him and then spoke with Annie, spoke with Kaiba and like learned more about the plant. And then, um, that's basically how I got my involvement in, in Fayette now. But as far as people that want to get involved, definitely. I think one of the best ways to stay plugged in is social media. We say it all the time, but, um, for, we will, we post when we're doing actions. We post when we're doing trainings. Um, we'll usually have a link to sign up. And then also, I, I think we all three have a petition on our website. So that's definitely a quick, easy way to just go on there, um, and fill it out. And then also formulates an email to send to city council. And I think one last way for, for us, at least, if you are interested and not so sure about everything, I think even just volunteering to help register voters is a great way. So you can get your VDR certification really easy, just like one small course. And then we're happy to have you set up with us. Um, And then of course, vote as well. Great. And what about you, Annie? How can, how did you get involved with this effort and, and how can people get more involved with Sunrise? Yeah, so I've been involved in the environment stuff because my family has a background in electricity. Uh, they used to work for the main 
uh, company in Mexico. Oh, this is the perfect gig for you. (laughs) Yeah, new presidents and everything. And I got into nuclear at some point. And from that, just went through the rabbit hole of like, even also like animal agriculture and all of that. Uh, so when I came here to the to Austin, I immediately reached out to see like what was something that I could do uh, with Sunrise because they had just done the Nancy Pelosi sit-in that was everywhere on social media. Uh, so I reached out and turns out they were just starting the hub here. I went to the second meeting ever of Sunrise here in Austin. Uh, so I'm one of the founding members. And um, I also, I don't know, the idea of like politics here with the environmental movement and also the intersections that it has that is not just because sometimes people think that, oh, if I do the environment, then why would I join a, and now with row, like, why would I join a reproductive justice groups? Like, no, that's all the same. They're all in the same lane. We need all of them. That's why we need you to vote so that we have an even broader lane. Um, so all of that just came to that. And just recently, uh, I know El Paso has also done a lot of work with pipelines, very successful work. So after that uh, news came out, I was like, okay, so this is the chance that we jump in and do it. Because I know at Sunrise, we focus on elections for a long time and we will still do that. But we were like, we need local actions. Because sometimes it's like, oh, let's go to DC. It's like, that's great, beautiful. Do that if you can. But we need to do it right here for us, for all people, for classmates, roommates, family members. Um, so this was just like a perfect opportunity. And I was also helping my Celine and Julie Oliver back then. And Mike was like, Annie, what are we going to do? And like, well, <laughs> help me get people and let's do it. Uh, so that's how I got involved. And as for how can people join us, we also have a very uh, active social media, especially in Instagram at the moment. Anyone can just reply to our story saying like, I want to do something. It really is for everyone, even though it's a Jude-led movement, we really have the doors open for all ideas. Cause like, we might seem like we have all the ideas and this and that, but we also need answers and more creativity at times. There are things that I probably will never think about. So it really is for anyone to join. We do have also a link that they can fill out with their email and everything, and we can add them to our Slack. And we're constantly going to share like, oh, we're meeting here, we're meeting that. And they're open for everyone since we don't have like a membership of like, you have to pay dues or something. No, it's really, it's for anyone who feels like, oh, I want to check it out. Please do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Thank you. And then Kaiba, I feel like we, we've had you on a bunch before, but I actually, I don't know how you got started doing all of this personally. I, how did you get into it? And then how can people connect with Public Citizen? Well, I actually uh, started interning for Public Citizen right out of college in 2006. And no then, way, you're a lifer. <laughs> well, I, I, I then went to grad school and, okay. and had a different job at UT and, and wanted to make my way back into advocacy because I, I definitely wanted to be uh, you know, on the on the side of things where you're actually, you know, trying to make change directly. So, um, yeah, I, you know, feel passionately about climate change and, uh, you know, just kind of environmental protection uh, generally. And, 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 I, and that's why I'm in this work. And, um, you know, doing it in Texas is hard. Uh, but I have found that I I get the most, you know, uh, kind of satisfaction from really working on these uh, local focused projects where, uh, you know, people in a community can really start to get involved and, uh, you know, take control of their own destiny, uh, you know, in these kind of decisions by by standing up and and saying what they want and uh, trying to hold their elected leaders uh, accountable. And, you know, I, I would encourage people to um, you know, just consider doing the things that you might feel uncomfortable with, like speaking at a city council meeting. It doesn't matter if what you say is perfect. It matters that you stand up and say something because uh, there are so many competing, you know, priorities in the city. And, and many of them are very important, but uh, if this is something that matters to you, now would be a good time for you to find a way to communicate to our city council that you want this to stay on the front burner, that you want them to find a solution. And that was Amber, Kaiba, and Annie. And don't worry, I'll be putting links to all the key things they mentioned in our show notes. 
So as you can see, if you live in an area with a publicly owned utility, learning more about where your electricity comes from and then getting involved with transitioning that utility to 100% carbon free or close to it is a really impactful way to get involved. And this effort to shut down coal plants in particular is happening in cities across the United States. If this is something you're really interested in, the National Environmental Organization, the Sierra Club, has a Beyond Coal campaign where they track every coal plant closure in the U.S. and have lots of opportunities for the public to get involved. So might be something you want to look into as well. Another really great way to get involved in local energy policy in your community is the Electric Utility Commission, sometimes also called a Public Utility Commission or an Electric Power Board, depending on where you live. And Different public utilities have all kinds of different governance structures. Here in Austin, our city council serves as the board of the utility with ultimate decision-making power. And then we also have an electric utility commission, which is made up of Austin residents who kind of serve as advisors to Austin Energy and city council on energy-related issues. In San Antonio, they do things slightly differently. Their publicly-owned electric utility called CPS is governed by a five-member board made up of four local residents and the mayor. And, you know, it's also worth noting that most states also have a public utility commission. Um, they, they serve as regulatory bodies. They're usually in charge of electric, water, and telecommunications utilities throughout the entire state. And we're not really focusing too much on state-level politics in this episode, but if you're very interested in energy policy, state-level public utility commissions are also a really great place to start or get involved. They have a lot of power in helping to set goals and either encourage or discourage the adoption of renewables throughout the entire state. But anyway, all that's to say, the general idea with all of this is the same. If you live in a place where there's a publicly owned electric utility, there are some sort of public processes you can get involved with, public meetings you can attend, elected officials you can interact with, and many ways to make your voice be heard, usually within this you know, pretty traditional government structure. So to give you a better idea of what this is actually like, I'm really excited to introduce you to McKenna Yonker. McKenna is a 22-year-old Austin resident and a UT grad who serves on Austin's Electric Utility Commission. And I had the chance to sit down with McKenna recently and talk all things Electric Utility Commission, the good, the bad, and the extremely nerdy. <laughs> so let's go ahead and give that interview a listen. All right, I'm here with McKenna, and I'm, I'm really excited to be able to have you on because um, I met you a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I guess, and discovered that um, you are a new electric utility commissioner and in my district, District 1, and um, you're also pretty young. <laughs> I don't see that very often on the Electric Utility Commission. And so when I was working on this piece, I was like, oh man, I got to bring McKenna back on because I was so excited, <laughs> um, you know, as someone who is a big advocate <laughs> for getting people engaged in local government. And I, and I was like, I, I got to have her talk about her experience. So thank you so much for taking the time to chat. Yeah, well, I have to thank you as well, because it was actually... Um, your, your, the Austin Common that helped me discover the, the boards and commissions process that ordinary citizens can take part in that level of guidance for their city government. And it was really helpful uh, to get those, the guides that the Austin Common produces and it helped me discover the boards and how to apply. So I love that. I promise everyone listening, I didn't just invite McKenna on to toot my own horn about <laughs> what a good job we're doing, but that, that warms my heart. It makes me so excited because that's the whole point of all of this. So I'm so glad to hear that. And you yeah, know, let's, let's, let's start at the beginning though. What is an electric utility commission in particular? Yeah. So at least for the city of Austin, we are in charge, I guess, of approving things to go before the city council that come from our energy utility. So for us, that's going to be Austin Energy. So the most common things that we get is that we'll kind of approve eminent domain and a lot of very like bureaucratic kind of just run in the mill, like red tape sort of things. Um, but we're also going to be impacting a lot of wider city policies. So some of the initiatives that the city of Austin's Electric Utility Commission has taken on is making recommendations to the city and to Austin Energy for how to decommission the Fayette power plant, uh, which is 
I think the like 14th dirtiest coal plant in the nation. It, it's, it's our largest source of carbon emissions in the city. So we uh, had a big role and this was actually before I joined the commission, so I can't take too much credit, um, but they made a series of recommendations for how to transition away from Fayette Power Plant, which has unfortunately uh, run into a few kind of legal logistical things um, that are sort of impending that, hindering that process, I guess you could say. But we are also going to be um, approving some of the budgetary recommendations that the city and Austin Energy are collaborating on to make the new fiscal year 2023 budget. Uh, in particular, we're actually going to be doing the five-year rate review. So every five years, Austin Energy reviews their budget, their rates, and- uh, So how much they charge consumers, right? That's what yes, the rate so, is. Mm-hmm. Yes. So we're going to be looking at potentially increased rates and having hopefully some say and negotiations with Austin Energy and the city about how we might be able to meet like the rising operational costs for Austin Energy with a consumer base and a customer base, both residential and commercial, that is steadily relying more on renewable energy. So it's actually gradually costing customers less. However, there is still a large amount of sort of maintenance and operation costs for Austin Energy. So they've kind of got to reconcile those two interests of both having affordable electric utility and you know, just keeping paying their own bills. <laughs> right. Because even as people use elect- uh, less electricity, you still have the same amount of, you know, local power lines that need to ma- mm-hmm. be maintained, you know, winter st- storms that happen and then the power mm-hmm. lines go down and someone needs to go out there and fix them. All of yes. that kind of stuff yeah. is a constant, right? So right. Um, even if the the renewables are cheaper. So, yeah, so and for, even just like payroll, like paying right. for their employees' healthcare. And obviously that's really important. So, <laughs> right. Raises everything like that. So the electric utility commission is one of our city's boards of commissions. Like we were talking about mm-hmm. our city here in Austin, we have like 70 of these all resident uh, made up of local residents of Austin. Most of the boards, the way they work is each city council member plus the mayor gets to appoint a resident to serve. And it's like an advisory commission. And um, it's just a, a really great way, I think, for the public to be able to advise city council on key issues. And there's a ton of topics, um, like you mentioned. So this one is the electric utility. And since in Austin, we have a publicly owned electric utility, we have a border commission that's dedicated to this. Mm-hmm. And and this is like one of the more wonky boards or commissions, I would say, <laughs> that the city has because the electric utility and the way it runs, it's super important to climate. It's also pretty complicated. They're doing innovative things all the time. There's like complicated equations about forecasting and all these things. And and so I'm curious for, for you, like what made you pick it? How did you how did you get into this? Because you yeah. you recently graduated from UT, correct? Yes, I, uh, gosh, it's not so recent anymore. It's about a year, uh, a year ago, which I, fairly recent. Uh, I graduated in May of 2021. So that winter storm did take place my last semester of college. I had to say that out loud to make sure I was saying that right. <laughs> um, but yeah, so part of what drove me to this commission in particular, and I had actually applied for a few at once, which I can go into more detail later, but I applied for the Electric Utility Commission because I had such a, the the winter storm really had such a large impact on Mm. me, on neighbors, residents throughout Austin. And I wanted to see, I wanted to learn more about that process, about how we might protect customers and insulate them from these kinds of events when the the bills come in later, which Austin Energy kind of has a separate, a slightly different system from other um, electric utilities in the state. So as I I recall, the bills were not quite as uh, enormous (laughs) in scale compared to Right. That is one of the benefits of having a publicly yeah. owned electric utility is that we, mm-hmm. we're not quite as vulnerable to the profit. City council is able to yeah. say, hey, we're going to like press pause on this and not just allow you to make a ton of money off of people yeah. in a time of need. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was a great thing about Austin Energy. But because of what, uh, because of that storm and really just the, uh, 
really a great job that Austin Energy did getting back out there and being fairly communicative with us about the process. Um, and we owe a lot to just those ordinary folk that are out there working on the electric lines. But for me, I did definitely have a lot of concerns about right. just uh, what our infrastructure is going to be in the future when we do have more of these giant climate change related sort of a historical events that we haven't seen before, but they're going to be more common. I, people, uh, a lot, I hear still a lot of people saying like, oh, that was a once in a hundred years type of storm, but I've lived in Texas for 22 years. I'm, I'm 22. And I've already seen two massive snowstorms. There was the one in 2011 that knocked out a lot of power in North Texas, where I'm originally from. And then there was this one that was statewide where it was even in the coasts on Galveston. And I, I don't know if it went down to South Padre, but I know they were rescuing sea turtles. <laughs> so uh, I, I wanted to learn more about how we might help insulate the future, future residents and our future environment from these sorts of catastrophic events. And what about, you know, what do you hope to, to bring to the table in, mm -hmm. in your service here, you know, what are, what are some of your dreams for serving in this role or a perspective you want to bring or goals you want to achieve? I know it's still early, but yeah, it, it is early, but I want to, I, part of our, one of the biggest focuses of us, of our commission is going to be that Fayette power plant. And for me, I want to push Austin Energy as much as possible to decommission that so that we can help re further reduce our carbon emissions. I also just want to offer that, and, and you have to balance those kind of lofty environmentalist, like climate change activist goals with how it's going to affect real people. So one of the biggest focuses I think is going to be keeping costs low while also moving away from those kind of outdated modes of electric utility and also ensuring that the people and, and um, the Fayette power plant, it's, gonna, it's in LaGrange. So I think that's maybe 45 minutes hour away um, east, yes, east of Austin. And I think one of the biggest concerns for a lot of uh, climate activists here in Austin is that Yes, we, we want to reduce our carbon emissions. We want to make sure that the city is not actively contributing, or I, I guess that's a, a bit impossible, but is not contributing to climate change at as large of a scale. But we want to make sure that there's a just, a just transition from the Fayette Power Plant. And we want to make sure that those people working there are taken care of afterwards. We want to make sure that we are keeping costs down for renters like myself and for other young people in the city. It's increasingly becoming difficult to be a young person in the city. And especially, um, I think, for college students, which I am no, no more, but um, still very active with a lot of college student and college age populations, it's very difficult to afford living in Austin at this point. So I think for me, one of my biggest goals is to just use my status, I guess my position to help keep those costs down while balancing maybe some more like idealistic kind of goals of my generation. Um, it, it's kind of a precarious place to be sometimes, but I think it's really crucial to, I think, I think a path is definitely available and it's just a matter of transitioning to a more sustainable electric utility. And that was McKenna. And just a reminder for all you Austinites out there who are interested in serving on a city board or commission like McKenna, uh, we actually did an entire episode on boards and commissions back in 2021. It's called How to Get Involved in Our Local Democracy, and you can find that in your podcast feed. Oh, and one last piece of advice from McKenna. She says, don't be intimidated. <laughs> I really love that, and I think it's a great place to leave things for today. You know, everyone has a role to play when it comes to climate change and local government, whether you're a 22-year-old recent college grad or a retiree. Oh, and remember, our local climate action series will be continuing next week with an episode dedicated to climate justice. I hope you'll join us.
The Austin Common Radio Hour is brought to you in partnership by the Austin Common and Co-op Radio. The Austin Common is a local news source that helps Austinites be informed and make a difference in their community. You can learn more about the Austin Common by visiting theaustincommon.com or following us on Instagram at the underscore Austin underscore common. Co-op is a cooperatively run community radio station based in Austin, Texas. To listen to more of Co-op's amazing lineup of shows, visit koop.org or tune in to 91.7 FM. This show is hosted by me, Amy Stansberry, and produced by John Hoffner. You can find podcasts of the Austin Common Radio Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. And one quick friendly request on this, if you like our show and you find it useful, please consider rating, reviewing, and subscribing on your favorite podcast app. It really helps us to be seen and heard by more folks in Austin. So thank you in advance if you're able to do that for us. And a final thank you to the Tiara Girls, the amazing local band whose music you hear at the start and end of this podcast. You can listen to their music on Spotify or follow them on Instagram at Tiara Girl Band. Thanks for listening.